Hello, and welcome to Cheer, a holiday podcast series. Today, we'll be celebrating Groundhog Day with the hosts of the Gen X Grown Up podcast. Join John, George, and Moe as they revisit the cult classic Bill Murray film, Groundhog Day. Enjoy! Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown up. Grown up, grown up, grown up. Then put your little hand in Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up Podcast listener, to this backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. I'm John. Joining me as always is Mo. Hey, everybody. And you know that George is here. Hey, how's it going, guys? In 1993, weatherman Phil Connors was sent on assignment to a small town in Pennsylvania. It was the fourth consecutive year he and his crew were to report on whether or not a local celebrity would see his shadow. That's right. In this backtrack, we're remembering the classic Bill Murray comedy, Groundhog Day. Wow, just in time. <laughs> right, right. It's January is wrapping up as uh, Groundhog Day is always February 2nd. So we're releasing this right here at the end of January. We thought, what better time than Groundhog Day to talk about one of our favorite films of a Gen X era, Groundhog Day. So it all kind of lined up. Yeah, why not? Uh, I think calling it one of our favorite films might be pushing it for all of us, at least. It's a good film. Uh, a film we've all seen and it's okay. I mean, is, that, is that enough? Yeah. Is that enough? <laughs> I think that covers all the bases right there. I know for many it's a favorite, maybe not for all, but it's definitely one. It's a touchstone. It's one that it's a Bill Murray classic for sure, whether it's one of your favorites or not. Yeah, okay. It's up there with the rest of his films, you know. Like it's on a list of Bill Murray films. I'll give it that. Exactly. It is on a list of Bill (laughs) Murray films. It's definitely on the list of Bill Murray films. George will not commit where on the list it is, but it is on the list. (laughs) I I say we just go with it. Fine. It works for me. Works Mm -hmm. for me. Before we get into talking about Groundhog Day, though, real quickly, it's time for a fourth listener email. Uh, Fourth listener this time around long long time listener rick dropped hey. us an email see if you can figure what podcast he's talking about the subject line is who you gonna call um oh, the wrestling uh. podcast exactly obviously the wrestling, it's the wrestling podcast obviously <laughs> dewey decimal system because you have to call oh, the librarian oh, that's it that's it <laughs> you call the information desk perfect no he's talking about the ghostbusters backtrack ghostbusters uh and rick just says uh so after listening to this splendiferously fantastic episode wow, wow. that is a ten dollar word there it is mm-hmm. yeah he had to go buy a new thesaurus for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus for diction. See, he called the info desk at the library. That's right. <laughs> he says, I decided to go rewatch the movie yet again, and this triggered a thought. I wonder if there's a way to find out how much of a bump the movie got at Hulu after it received the GXG treatment. <laughs> Any guesses? <laughs> at least 25%. <laughs> oh, yeah. 25 to 40 in there. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Somewhere, in that, somewhere in that ballpark, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm certain. Reminds me of that Jane quote from Firefly, and I'm thinking about it because I'm watching Firefly again where he's like let's see I got 10% of this job 10% of nothing is carry the nothing and 5% of the nothing is <laughs> <laughs> nothing yeah that's great I love that part so you're saying it's a less than measurable bump Hulu perceived <laughs> after getting the GXG treatment like, like bump may be a misleading word <laughs> even I would even call it a 
flicker. Might be more of a divot than a bump. Right. Perhaps it was depressed a bit after that. I'm not watching that for here. These talk about it. We boycott Ghostbusters. No. I would love to think we had an influence on who watched Ghostbusters on Hulu, but uh, it probably got its own bump with Ghostbusters Afterlife on the way. We could we could claim it was us. It was it was our influence. Sure. That got, I'm, yeah, I'm sure. not above theft. Yeah, why not? Yeah, especially for credentials and, and clout. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that's our guess, Rick. Uh, Rick signs off by going forever, the number four ever listener, Rick. Cool, man. Nice. Thank you. Thanks, Rick. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we love that you wrote in. We love every time the fourth listener takes time out of their day to write into the show. If you'd like your email featured here on the show, it is drop dead easy. Just drop us a line podcast at genxgrownup.com. We read every single one, and most of them, like Rick's, eventually make the show. All right, guys. It is time to see if Punxsutawney Phil sees his shadow as we get into Groundhog Day <laughs> right after the break. Stick around. Be sure to subscribe to or follow Gen X Grown Up wherever you listen. And while you're there, rate and review the show, too. It helps more than you know. It's Groundhog Groundhog time. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. Weatherman Phil Connors is spending the day in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. But Phil's about to find out... He's not just stuck in Puxatawney, he's stuck in Groundhog Day. In Groundhog Day. Then put your little hand in mine. Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up Podcast. Listeners to this backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. I am John. Joining me as always is Mo. Hey, everybody. And of course, you know that George is here. Hey, how's it going, guys? What we said in this backtrack, we're going to be talking about Groundhog Day. And the off chance that you're like George and one of those who don't think it's a a relevant or top tier (laughs) movie, maybe you've not seen it. The premise of Groundhog Day a self-centered Pittsburgh weatherman finds himself inexplicably trapped in a small town as he lives the same day over and over and over again. And I think many people just, they say anything with time travel or time loop, they call it like a Groundhog Day type movie now almost, yeah. don't they? It's, it's become a thing. Yeah, I, I watched this movie one time when it first came out mm-hmm. and never again, but everybody, <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course everybody would talk about, oh, you know, it's like mm-hmm. that movie Groundhog Day. It's like that Groundhog mm-hmm. Day. It's like so Groundhog Day instead of being Groundhog Day was now Groundhog Day the movie was right. the reference it yep. felt like. Sure. You know, so Danny Rubin, the guy that wrote it, he came up with the idea he'd he'd moved to LA to work as a screenwriter and he was currently reading the Anne Rice novel The yep. Vampire Lestat. Oh, okay. okay. And he said he was reading it, he was waiting in a theater waiting for a movie to start and he'd been reading the book and was thinking about vampiric immortality and what would someone do if their life was limited You know, like, would life become meaningless or would they, it was someone who was unable to change, would they eventually be able to change or something like that? Oh, okay. That was the idea he had. And he was, he started pitching ideas around. He had written other stuff. And then he started working on, someone advised him to get a, what he called a resume script or a get in the door script, like write something that's high concept to get in the door to people, even if they don't buy that. So he had this big script in mind where it talked about a man who's changing over the span of an eternal life, but this wasn't like a time loop. Oh, an immortal, basically. Yeah, right. It wasn't a time loop. Literally, it was like a Highlander thing. It's right. So it's like how he changed from, and the idea was like it would be historic events in the past, and then he had scenes set in the future and the distant future. And everybody he talked to said, that's way too expensive. 
We can't do a movie right. like that. The cost of doing all, like every scene would be a different set and different actors right. and different environments and stuff. Well, and way too expensive was probably more based on the fact that he had no credentials himself at this point, uh, yeah, since he exactly. hadn't really sold anything. Well, sure, yeah, we're, we're going to take Joe Schmo. Oh, James Cameron, we'll do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if, if the right person's attached, you know, it's going to get greenlit no matter how much. Right. It costs. Which wasn't the case. It was just this this upstart writer, Danny Rubin. Right. So ultimately, he tweaked it with a concept of a man awakening each day to find it was the same day. So he took a lot of the same story beats and he twisted it so it was a low-budget possible film, and that's what finally got the attention of Hollywood and got it made. Imagine you guys know how f- films are made and you know how they do it. It's not filmed in order very often. Right. It's, it's always out of note. order. What? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's whoever's most efficient. But right? if you could film the same scene five times in a row and you mm-hmm. didn't have to cut any of them because they were all going to be in the movie, that's yep. the cheapest way to make a movie. When you think about the it, economy you, of scale right you, there. Yeah. yeah. You've got like 20 scenes that you have to film mm-hmm. and you just film them four or five times a piece. And now your movie's done. <laughs> what if the actor's kind of like, Oh God. Yeah. You know? <laughs> okay. We're going to do the same scene 20 times. Go. You know, interesting. <laughs> Even though it's the same scene over and over, once you get started, it's a different scene every time right. for Bill Murray, even though lots of other people are doing the same things over and over, right? So he probably wasn't bored. That's true. That was the one thing I was watching, and I don't know. I was watching the background people more than anything mm-hmm. when I rewatched this film because I yeah. wanted to see how often the people did exactly the same thing that they had done <laughs> oh, right. in the previous right. takes of the same scene. And they were probably about 80% accurate. Okay. Which mm-hmm. is reasonable because there's got to be the butterfly effect of different variations, you know, even yeah, right. if you're reliving the same day over and over again. So I, I found it fascinating watching this movie the second time, not caring about the story because I knew the story this time. I was focused on the small little details like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, isn't there somebody on a set called like continuity person or something like that to like make there sure are things now. are in the same spot? <laughs> yeah. And now they are. So yeah, which hand did I have the cigarette job. in? And yeah. yeah, did I have the red socks or the blue socks and that take? Right. Yeah. Exactly. So that person must have had a big job on this movie. Uh, you're exactly right. Yeah. And I think they might have had too big a job. They needed a continuity department. <laughs> Well, this was created with a concept of releasing it around Groundhog Day. They missed by a bit. Groundhog Day, I think, is always February 2nd. Always is, yeah. This released February 12th. In 1993. Okay. You know, looking at its performance, it did pretty well at the box office. It got $71 million, I think. Yeah, $71 million. Not bad for a February movie. Especially for a February movie. February is not exactly a time that you think of going to the theater. You know, you're thinking of other stuff. You know, that's kids going back to school after the break and families getting Mm -hmm. their stuff together and jobs kicking back up at the start of the new year. Yeah, movies are not exactly top of my list in February. Mm -hmm. Yeah, February is probably rotten time for it and i'm sure you know starred by bill murray couldn't have hurt so that that helped yeah at the time, no. that star power is what pulled it yeah in. he had quite a bit going for him at that point yeah but if you look at the rotten tomatoes reviews of this thing though i mean it, it's really high i thought the reviewers gave it like 96 percent and the audience 88 percent. i mean that's whoa, high whoa, whoa, whoa. hold on <laughs> this got 96 from reviewers and 88 percent from audience audience but scrooged was in the 70s are you freaking kidding me <laughs> Well, I agree with that. <laughs> I got to do I got to go with it. My goodness. That's not right. There's just something wrong about that. I'm actually surprised the reviewer score is higher than the audience score. I use the reviewer yeah, a little more. <laughs> this is a, a comedy. You know, I know people say it's very rewatchable, which is ironic because the film itself is about redundancy, <laughs> but the film is very rewatchable. So right. I almost think you get tired of it sooner, but maybe not. <laughs> okay. I'm going to nerd out for a second. You guys know the history of Groundhog Day? Like where it came about? No, I, I do not. I, 
I know that it's a holiday with a rat. That's as much as I know. That's close. More or less. But uh, (laughs) apparently it was a German holiday and it came over with the Pennsylvania Dutch. And there's this long saying in German, which I'm not even going to try to say, but it translates to if the badger sunbathes during Candlemas week for four more weeks, will he be back in his hole? (laughs) (laughs) It's from a noted German saying or formula. And Candlemas is February 2nd. So it was like a tradition and it wasn't actually a badger in Germany. How did the Germans almost have world domination in the 40s with that kind of a weird tradition in their background? Well, it it is what it is. And then, you know, of course, if the groundhog sees his shadow, that's actually considered bad because he's going to get six more weeks of winter. I thought, is it six weeks or four weeks? I I need you to read that one more time. I need to hear one more time and figure out how this works. So read the translation again for me. Okay. If the badger sunbathes during Candlemas week for four more weeks, will he be back in his hole? <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. So he goes out, gets a tan. Yeah. And then he goes back home and just hibernates for four more candles or whatever it was. Because it's more winter. Four more weeks of winter. Yes, four more weeks. Oh, sorry, not six. It was yeah. four more weeks of winter. Okay. Yeah. Those wacky Germans, they're known I for know. their comedic timing. How can you tell if a groundhog has a tan? That's what I want to know. Well, you got to be careful. You got to watch it. I mean, there's nothing else to do in February. You, you got to shave him just a little and check the skin you color. I think is what it is. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Stop. <laughs> oh, you had a tan. More winter. Oh, yeah. Now, actually, now where that even saying come? No, I don't think they even know where it even came from. That's appropriate. Yeah, it is like one of those like, oh, if it's red sun at night, means this. It's just one of those kind of saying. Somebody things. was punking the Germans. They were just made that up just to mess with them, I think, and then it turned into a holiday. I know where that saying came from. Do I you? know where it came from. It came from Oktoberfest when somebody was drunk off their somebody rear was, end. They, they were and just started spouting off stuff, and then somebody heard them and said, "Oh, well, let's turn ah. that into a holiday." There you now go. we know whether it's going to stay cold. Perfect. Let somebody. <laughs> Call Elron Hubbard. Let's get this on the move. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had said that Bill Murray was probably a big draw for this, making yeah. the money that it made. Interestingly, Bill Murray wasn't Harold Ramis's first choice, despite their legacy of working together. Yeah. Tom Hanks is who he wanted for the Seriously. lead role. Yeah. Hmm. I could kind of see that, though. Yeah. I mean, considering the other romantic comedies that Hanks has made over the years, mm-hmm. I could see him yep. doing this because that's essentially what this film is. It's a romantic comedy at its heart. It, it is. It is. Yeah. Ultimately, what I read was that because it's about a transformation of the main character, Phil, he goes from an unlikable guy to ultimately like finding peace with himself and becoming likable. Right. He felt that Tom Hanks was too nice for people to believe he was unlikable in the beginning. Actually, so, I could see that. Yeah, because it's Scrooged with a better Rotten Tomatoes score, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is kind of a Scrooge, right? He's self-centered and he's a jerk and he doesn't care about other yeah. people and that gradually changes. But no, he thought nobody would believe Tom Tom Hanks as the jerk part of that in the beginning. So that's yeah. also why Tom Hanks was not in Scrooge. You know, I like I said, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of this film. I love Bill Murray and I love mm-hmm. comedies. I was kind of surprised to find out that in 2006, this movie was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. And, uh, you know, with all the important seminal films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. You're going with the winds. This doesn't feel like a Library of Congress <laughs> film. Now, but Godfather. You know, but it, isn't it a touchstone for pop culture, though? The fact that people reference a Groundhog Day type film. I think it's in- embedded enough. I mean, to... you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> <laughs> I could clearly not choose the film in front of you. 
<laughs> wow, that was a deep cut. I think it is, though. I, th- I think, I think it, it is, is ingrained enough. Whether the film itself is good enough, which I would argue it is, I think it's culturally relevant enough that it deserves preservation that way. So good on them. Yeah, I think it made an impact. I don't think you can avoid the made an impact. Yeah, for sure. So I, I agree. All right. So before we get into talking about the characters in the next segment, I want to do another one of those quick round robins. We already got a kind of a kind of a feel on where George is, uh, where he registers on the film Groundhog Day. <laughs> but I want to know two quick data points. I want to know where you stand. What's your opinion on Groundhog Day? Both the film and the holiday. What do you think mm. of them? So Mo, I want to start with you. What do you think of the two? Okay, well, the movie is a movie I really enjoy and I rewatch it several times and I don't think mm-hmm. I've been gotten tired of it. So I think it's a really, really good movie. As far as the day, see, the thing is that my birthday is the day before Groundhog Day. Right. So I was one of the few people in the world who knew when Groundhog Day was. Because <laughs> it was the day after your birthday. Okay. So, I, so Trivial Pursuit, that was the best question for me. So I kind of like it as a holiday. <laughs> for that reason and no other reason. That's, well, that's a weird reason to like it. But if you like it, you like it. Fair enough. George, where do you register? Um. All right. So I'm going to start with the holiday first. Yeah, you should. Okay. It's essentially a nothing holiday holiday for me like it is for probably everybody <laughs> except for the people who live in that town. Yeah. I remember it as a kid thinking, oh, this Groundhog Day and that really works. Of Yeah, it was colder for six more weeks or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I remember, you know, as a child, you try to drift into the believability of some mm-hmm. ridiculous tradition or ceremony like that. Of course. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think I like the holiday a little bit more as a kid because, you know, furry animal telling me if it's going to be cold or not. Sure. You know, I, I was in Florida. It didn't matter. <laughs> But, <laughs> it's going to be hot no matter what. It's going to be but, hot. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the movie itself was not a fan of it when it first came out, as I said. I will say, ironically, it is better in the second watching for me. So just like, okay. you know, he got better and enjoyed his life more the more times he went through his day. Mm-hmm. I enjoy the film more now that I've watched it a second time. And I think I will probably put it on my rewatch list for once every couple oh. of years or so. Okay. Oh, that's good. Right. Come around a little bit for you. Yeah. I mean, well, I'll start with the film. I mean, I, I know I watched the film quite a bit when I was young and I really enjoyed it. I probably had not watched it in 10 years years or so in preparation for this show of course i oh, let's rewatch it and make sure i'm it's all fresh in my mind and whereas you george didn't used to like it and like it a little better now I always did like it. That had faded with me. Rewatching it, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember what I liked about this. Yeah. You know, so I, I think I even like it more now. The holiday, look, yeah. <laughs> all my my young career, I worked in television in local news. Oh. And so all of my good friends and who are meteorologists, of course, it, you know, they kind of roll their eyes at it, but they're forced to celebrate it just like Phil Connors is. And so I always liked the discomfort that my friends who were meteorologists <laughs> got out of Groundhog Day. So I got kind of a, like an evil, yes, you guys have to deal with this again, ha ha ha, and it's watch them kind of take it seriously. That, that, that's what I enjoyed about it is that it's it's like a voluntary collective mania. It's like, we're all yeah. going to pretend it's real. We all know it's not. It's like wrestling, George. We're going to pretend, right? Right. <laughs> but it's not. But we all agree to pretend it is. And they hated that because, of course, meteorologists, are they're rooted in science and that kind right. of thing. And they didn't like that. <laughs> Shout out to Mike McCall, one of our longtime supporters. He's my favorite meteorologist. And I can see what the scene would be like at his TV station, your old TV station, yep. WCTV. Yep. I can see the two of you, you on the mic and him in front of the camera. <laughs> I oh. see you torturing him left, right, and center Loved it. Loved on it. the Groundhog yep. Day segment. Yeah, see, Absolutely. Like, stretch it. Stretch it. <laughs> Keep, going. <laughs> Keep going. we got to fill another three minutes talking about Groundhogs. Go, go, go. <laughs> oh, man. 
You're listening to Gen X Grown Up. But if you have a friend who's not yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. Time. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. Weatherman Phil Connors is spending the day in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. But Phil's about to find out he's not just stuck in Puxatawney, he's stuck in Groundhog Day. In Groundhog day. Then put your Welcome back, Gen X Grown-Up Podcast. Listener to this Backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown-Up Podcast. I am John. Joining me as always is Mo. Hey, everybody. And you know that George is here. How's it going, guys? You know, in this episode, we're talking all about Groundhog Day, and it wouldn't be Groundhog Day without the people and talent that made it the film that it is. So I would like to start personally talking about my favorite cameo from this film, because it's seeing Egon Spengler in the flesh again in 93. And that was the director, Harold Ramis, who had a brief cameo in Groundhog Day. So his cameo was what? He was the neurologist that... Phil went to see briefly to find out if he had a medical condition. I don't even remember that. And I just no. watched the film like two nights yeah. ago. I don't remember <laughs> yeah, it, that. It was very brief. He looks quite a bit different and he's in profile. So it's not like face on as much. Uh, he's like, I'm going insane. Something's crazy. And he, he goes to see a doctor there in town. And the doctor goes, no, I, you're fine. Everything is okay. But he was the director here. He was also the co-creator of Ghostbusters. They have Bill Murray in it, of course. Yeah. Stripes. Uh, Harold Ramis. Stripes. Yeah. yeah. Stripes. Exactly. Right. Also, he was in that as well. But having him in this, it was fun to see just the two together on screen, you know, kind of this had to be what five or six years after Ghostbusters, see them together like Mm -hmm. that. It was neat. Directing talent for so much of our Gen X favorite films. But we have to get into, though, what I think you mentioned, George, before the, the segment here. They are the big two, the stars of this film. And let's start with the biggest star of them all in this film. And that's got to be Bill Murray, who plays weatherman Phil Connors. You wonder if it was a conscious choice by the writer, because I know that Ramis has a writing credit on this film, along with the mm-hmm. guy who came up with the idea. I wonder if it was a conscious choice on either of their parts to name him Phil when the groundhog itself is also named Phil. Oh, it was. Yeah. Yeah. The writer yeah. said he took that right from Punxsutawney Phil. Sure. Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> just okay. to, because he disliked it so much, just kind of stick and twist it a little bit and go, hey, and your name is Phil. <laughs> At one point, isn't there like guys in the diner even go, your name's Phil? You mean like yeah. the groundhog? And he's, he's like, groundhog. yes, like the groundhog. <laughs> I, I mentioned that's what people were Weatherman friends was it felt like too when you talk about Groundhog oh, sure. Day. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, like the groundhog. Without a doubt. I mean, yeah. I know that Tom Hanks was originally supposed to do the role, but after seeing Bill Murray in it, I can't imagine who else could have done that role. He seemed like he was a perfect fit. He, he's being very Bill Murray in this role. Yeah. <laughs> I have a difficult time with Murray's acting in this movie. Okay. I like Murray. He's a comedic genius in many respects. And, you know, we've talked about it before. Caddyshack and Ghostbusters and everything he's done throughout his career. He's always been really funny. This was one of the first films that I can remember that he was trying to do the dramatic part more than the comedic part, it felt like. Mm. And I don't think he was quite ready for that in his growth as an actor yet. To me, this was like a first shot across the dramatic bow, and I don't think it was a good one. But as the movie wore on and his character grew and morphed, we were talking about it ahead of time. I guess, you know, there might have been a whole bunch of days he was reliving over Mm -hmm. and over again, not just four or five 
five. And you could kind of tell that as the segments happen, you know, he'd go to the girl and he'd, can I buy you a drink? Oh, you like that drink? Oh, can I buy you this drink? Oh, I like <laughs> to say this toast when I drink, you know, right. he would learn. But his dramatic stuff where he was trying to be the jerk and where he was, how do I describe it? Where he was trying to take himself a little too seriously, didn't, didn't hit well for me, didn't resonate well for me in this role. Hmm. I, I kind of see where you're going with that, George, because, I mean, my favorite parts that Bill Murray did in this were actually more toward the end. Mm-hmm. Like exactly. when he's sitting there at a the table and when he's like super depressed and mm-hmm. he's talking right. and he just looks so sad. And he just, I was like, man, I, I felt for him so much in those scenes. Whereas at the beginning, it definitely seemed a little forced, I, yeah. I think. That's, I yeah. think that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Kind of forced. Yeah. Well, at the mm-hmm. beginning, he's hamming up the unlikability, yeah. which for some people is the very trait they can't stand in Bill Murray. He's kind of a smarmy guy. Yeah, but later, is. as he became somebody you could empathize with, that he's kind of, he's at the end of his rope and he's kind of trying to change a bit. He's definitely more likable on purpose, of course. And I think that made Bill Murray more likable as an actor in the role as the character became more empathetic. Well, and I think he got better at this later on. That's why I'm still irritated that this got such a better Rotten Tomato score than Scrooge did, because mm-hmm. he had to be the jerk guy in Scrooge as well and become likable at the end. And I think yep. he did that role 10 times better than he did this role. Hmm. Okay. I don't know about Maybe. 10 times, but I, I can see the improvement. I can see improvement. We'll say that. Yeah. yeah. And I think that Rotten Tomato score isn't based on Murray's performance. It's based on the ensemble and the quality of the film and kind of the concept. So that's, I wouldn't put that all on Murray's shoulders. Then it's definitely wrong. Well, then it's definitely right. I'm saying. If that's what it's based on, it's absolutely wrong. I disagree, but that's okay. Yeah, we can, that's okay. That's all right. The other of the big two here is the love interest, but she's so much more than a love interest in this film. She's the anchor that kind of, brings Murray through his story and out the other side. And that's Rita Hansen played by Andy McDowell. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. This is one of her first really big breakout roles too, if I remember correctly. She had this one and then I think, wasn't she in the one uh, multiplicity or the one where the guy had a whole bunch of copies of himself? Uh, oh, yeah, maybe. right. I thought I remember her more from like Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Remember that one? Oh, yeah, true. Yeah. So I, I thought that, that was one. like also a big one for her. But she had yeah. several right in that four or five year span, I guess, then. Yeah, she did. She was a hot commodity, I think, for quite a bit in there, too. So she was in Michael, that one with uh, John Travolta. Oh, the Archangel where he comes down yeah. to live like a human for a while. Oh, yeah. right. Yep. I thought she was great in this because she was playing a career woman who was not looking for any kind of relationship. And where Murray is often plays this irresistible scoundrel that's a womanizer, (laughs) she was having none of it. And I love that about her character. And even when he started to, we'll talk about later how he started to use his knowledge of the past to try to win her over, she could see through it. Even though she had no Mm -hmm. logical way to, she had intuition. And I think you could see that behind her eyes as an actress that she was figuring out something wasn't right, even though there's no rational way she should have been able to know, right? Well, that was kind of the point, I thought, of the writing of the film. He had the Mm -hmm. two quick love interests at the very beginning of the time frame. He had the one woman that he met really quickly, and then immediately he was on a date with another one in costume going to a movie theater, and the other one had walked by. (laughs) He he was just moving on like potato chips almost between these different Mm -hmm. women. 
But her character, when he started fixating on wanting to date and maybe quote unquote conquer her romantically, right. that's yep. when his character had to start its transformation. Before Agreed. that, yep. it was the character who was very shallow and very self-centered and very, I want to do this stuff. He was still self-centered at the beginning of his approach to try and conquest Rita, but then as he moved forward and she started calling him out on his crap and Mm -hmm. this is a wonderful day. Wait a minute. You set this whole thing up and all that. That's (laughs) when his character gets deeper. And to Mo's point earlier, that's when his character gets better and his acting even got a little bit better at that point. Hmm. So you, John, you watched Mr. Mayor, right? Oh yeah. The Mr. Mayor. Yeah. We love that. Where they had like the town hall and all these like older celebrities were, of course Mm -hmm. she was one of the celebrities. Yeah. I remember. Yep. She was one of the characters in that. Right. Because it was a Hollywood who's who of people that were at the town hall because they were right. She was the one that was flirting with Ted Danson in order to get her way for the people in that area. Yep. That's right. <laughs> That's, That's right. right. Yep. And, he, and he had a crush on her, didn't he? He did. Yep. <laughs> he did. Let's move along to maybe my favorite character in the film after Phil, and that is the cameraman, Larry, who is played by the wonderful Chris Elliott in this film. Oh, I'm so sad that you said all that. Why? Because it didn't have enough Chris Elliott in the role. <laughs> uh, we've seen Chris Elliott many, many roles since this movie. Uh, the biggest one, that one that I like him the most in is There's Something About Mary. That's Chris yeah. Elliott mm-hmm. to a T. Yeah. And this was not the Chris Elliott that I remembered. And, uh, granted, I saw this movie a long time ago once and never mm-hmm. watched it again until recently for the podcast. You know, I'm like, oh, Chris Elliott's in this film. At least I'm going to enjoy that. I enjoyed his character the least because I had so many expectations of it being a Chris Elliott character, and it Mm. absolutely was not a Chris Elliott character. Yeah, I can see what you mean. Uh, It's almost like this is Chris Elliott going, I want to see if I can be a real actor and turning off all the Chris Elliott-ness about him and just being a guy. Yeah. Or they cut it all out, one or the other. Like maybe he had a bunch of really great segments and scenes, and maybe they just got all left on the cutting room floor i have no idea well actually this is just a theory but this was actually pretty early in his acting career because he was like in the abyss i don't know if you remember that and he played a yes. serious character mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. yeah he played yep. groundhog day he didn't start getting into things like cabin boy and all this till after this movie yeah but he started off on television with the chris elliott character oh true good well, point he, 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 chris elliott wasn't a name yet so maybe they didn't allow him to be yeah. himself they're like you you be this character don't ham it up right jim carrey's kind of like that for me like i can imagine you know jim carrey is so crazy crazy and manic. But before Jim Carrey was a star, they didn't want people to be Jim Carrey necessarily. They wanted him to be an actor. Maybe he's an anomaly because the thing he's famous for is being so crazy and manic. Jim Carrey goes from Fireman Phil to being Ace Ventura in his film acting career. So he didn't have any time where he wasn't Jim Carrey. He's he's never trying to be serious until much later. So maybe he's the reverse of Chris Elliott in that case. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe I could calm down later. (laughs) Who knows? But I mean, I thought he was funny. I don't think he was Chris Elliott from delivering papers and all that stuff mm-hmm. like on this show. He was clearly a supporting character here. Yeah, absolutely. He did a great job with what he had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just was expecting something different, so it fell flat for me personally. Mm-hmm. Got Yep, yep. I get that. Yep. One that I think really does a good job of showing the repetition of Phil's day is 
Stephen Toblowski, who plays Ned Ryerson. Oh, he was great. Oh, Phil? Yeah. Phil Connors? <laughs> oh, that oh, recurring was, thing. Oh, so good. It was awesome for how bad the nails on a chalkboard feeling of his voice was to my ears. Yep. It was just, oh, it, every time you saw his character after the first time, you're like, God, he's going to hit me with that voice. And he would. And, oh, here he comes again. <laughs> he was so choice with his delivery every single time, even though it was the same set of lines yeah. and almost Yep. the same you know segment of the scene he did them in such a very subtly different way that made me go holy crap that was funny yeah and i tell you <laughs> his character i think because of him it made the scene where bill murray punches him that much funnier right yeah just watch him just <laughs> clocks him right yeah because you're sitting there like oh thank god yeah <laughs> like thank you but that just shows you how good he did that role though i mean he did it so well i was like please punch him <laughs> the payoff for ned ryerson was finally when phil turned it around on him yeah and he says phil phil connors and he just walks up gives him a huge hug i've missed you so <laughs> much creeped yeah. out yeah. yeah what are you doing today can you call in sick he's like i, I gotta go i gotta go he's yeah. like what if i'm more clean than you are and turn around on you and he did yeah it was so and, and then he jumps over the water puddle and somebody else steps in it he's like i'm owning this day right I'm yes. like, no more <laughs> but of course you know we can't talk about all the great actors in this without talking about scooter Who's Scooter? Scooter? I didn't see Scooter. From the Muppets? <laughs> he was the groundhog. <laughs> oh, the groundhog. The groundhog. The groundhog. <laughs> yes, we can absolutely not talk about the groundhog. <laughs> he was, hey, the, he's the title character. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> he is as important to this film as the real groundhog is to Groundhog Day. He's, he's just a the central character, but not he's, the most important part. He's a prop. He's a prop. I, <laughs> I mean, so much so that remember the scene where Murray hijacked him in the truck and he's driving oh, yeah. and it's just he's on the steering wheel with him, yeah. him drive yeah so there were so many continuity errors in that scene mo you talked about it earlier about continuity people mm -hmm, and whatnot mm -hmm. there's scenes in that scene where murray's talking to him and he's on the steering wheel and he's you know mm -hmm. doing his little chipmunk yeah. jaws and everything and they're driving around he's got the puppet you know when it's a far scene with the stunt driver guy driving right, right. but then when they go to the quarry where he's going to drive off the cliff and he yeah. turns the truck around and comes back. He's talking to the groundhog, but it's down on the ground and the passenger floorboard. But then oh. when they come back to the wide shot, it's up on the steering wheel again. Like, I didn't notice no, that. that's not where he's at. Oh, come on, he was just failed. a prop. Fail. Scooter should take some responsibility for his own continuity from shot to shot is what I'm saying. <laughs> you know... <laughs> His brain is the size of a walnut. I mean, come on. All right. <laughs> well, you're in the business. Take responsibility, buddy. That's all I'm saying. Each episode of Gen X Grown Up has show notes loaded with links where you can learn more about our topics. And there's even more to see and hear over at GenXGrownUp.com. Groundhog time. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. Weatherman Phil Connors is spending the day in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. But Phil's about to find out he's not just stuck in Puxatawney, he's stuck in Groundhog Day. In Groundhog day. Then put your little hand in mine. Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up Podcast listeners to this backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. I am John. Joining me as always is Mo. What's going on? I, I don't know. We know George is here as well, right? Um, 
Yeah, how's it going, everybody? What? It's yeah, it's, it's what? going great. We, we, we never going to talk about Groundhog Day here, and we've spoken about right. you know, the history of the film. We've talked about the cast. Okay. Uh, I want to talk here about impression. Everybody okay? You all right? You hanging yeah. in there? Yeah. yeah. Something yeah. wrong? Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about story beats and moments in the film that we want to kind of highlight here. And the first one I wanted to chime in with right at the beginning of the film is having spent so long working in broadcast television. I really appreciated that the in-studio stuff where he's like at the green screen and with the co-host and talking about his assignment is actually pretty darn accurate. Like technologically, nice. it's sound and kind of the, the framing is right where you'd be in the set. Because often I see, even with Scrooge, that you keep talking about how great that is. There's so much in that that just breaks all the rules that you'd see in television yeah. and in meetings sure. and stuff. Because that was also a broadcast environment. The only thing that I really bugged me was when he came back to the desk talking about his assignment and the woman co-host was leaning over and had this like crooked spine, like sit up straight. I would have told her in her ear, sit up straight. You look like you're melting. Other than that, pretty darn accurate. Nice. I like it when movies pay attention to details like that. Yeah. I feel like somebody on the set had worked in television and they, yeah. they said, let's do this right. It looked like they probably just picked some local TV station and did it because the studio looked right to me. Okay. Well, you wonder too, if they didn't have like a weatherman consultant on set to help them make sure those things were accurate. It could have. That'd have been nice. I would think yeah. that considering the whole movie's premise was mostly about a weatherman and his journey through a ridiculous segment and holiday, they would have probably had somebody that they talked to because the writer who wrote this, he wasn't ever a weatherman. Harold no, Ramis was no. certainly never a weatherman. No. So they would have had <laughs> yeah. to get somebody's opinion, I would think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And yeah. he, really, he's going out on assignment in this film. And it's aside from severe weather, this is really the only time they send the weather man out on assignment you know that's the only planned weather event that there is everything else is breaking news weather oh, so right. <laughs> i think having a real meteorologist to talk and kind of coach bill murray and the producers that would have made sense so hopefully that's the case Kind of it goes a little later in the, the film. We talked about how unlikable Bill Murray was being, oh, you yeah. know, kind of being a jerk in the film. As I'm watching it and I'm thinking like, how would I react? And I got mm -hmm. really nervous, even though I knew the film, that he might start exploring even worse things that he could do with no consequences. Right. It kept it kind of tame. Yeah. I know it's a PG movie or whatever, PG-13, whatever they had at the time. He did rob the armored car, but like he yeah. never murdered anyone or really hurt anybody. He could have, aside from yeah. suicide, which he knew had no consequences he could have easily done that stuff as uncomfortable as you'd have been but he knew it wouldn't matter and i'm so glad they didn't go down that path for me that was one of the reasons why i had such a hard time with this movie i think early on when i watched it the very first time because i'm a kind of a student of human nature so to speak i've always been that okay. way and i've always studied humans and watched how they react and everything there's very few humans that wouldn't go down the dark path in that situation. Almost every single human person mm -hmm. that I've ever met would at some point, if you're trapped in this loop for thousands of days, you would eventually, what if I just walked up and slit this person's throat or right. knowing it really didn't what matter. What if I just went up and did this horrific thing to this family, you know, purge mm -hmm. style or whatever. People would do that kind of thing just because our natures oftentimes take us down 
paths of exploration and the exploration mm. is not always a good thing. You know, people are, we're mm. explorers at heart. That's not always a good thing. Sometimes we <laughs> yeah. explore some really dark stuff. We explore our dark side sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. I kind of miss that the first time that I watched it because I was a much younger person. I was in my twenties. Mm-hmm. And I think that may have been one of the reasons why the movie felt more flat and unrealistic to me, which I guess I wasn't paying close enough attention that this was always geared toward being a PG-13 lighthearted romantic comedy. And that was not a thing I cared about in my Hmm. 20s. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it does definitely offer a lot of questions about what is morality and not to get too deep on this. But it's like if you could do something bad purposefully, but then undo it, does that make you a bad person? Is it? It's like the opposite of Schrodinger's cat. Yeah. (laughs) And personally, I liked the fact that he didn't do that stuff because I think if you're a good person, if you're a moral person, you won't do those things. I don't care what the situation is. You know, maybe you'll get pushed to a point of doing it, but I don't know if that's in human nature or not. Because even when I play things like video games and you have the option of being a complete jerk in it, I can't do Mm -hmm. it because it it feels wrong for me to do that. I I think, you know, to your point, I think maybe he realized that even if it would have reset in the world, it would still have been a stain on his own soul to have yeah, done those dark things. He may have never recovered, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't matter for the people he might have killed or maimed or whatever, he still would have been affected. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting that we're all three taking these different points of view because really these points of view reflect on our own moralities more than the character of the story. And I think it's really interesting how Mo sees it, how John sees it, because I see it the exact opposite. I see it more of a torture environment, right? So Mm. people who typically are boisterous and ego driven will say, you know, I don't care how much they tortured me. I'd never give up my family Mm -hmm. or I'd never turn on this belief system or whatever. Trust me, you get tortured enough, you'll say or do anything. And (laughs) No, I agree. You got to think about the place and the position that his character is in in this film. Thousands and thousands of days, theoretically, that he's reliving this over and over again. That is one of the worst. With no expectation that it will ever end. Yeah, that's one of the worst forms of torture I can personally imagine because that's a mental torture. It's not even the physical part of it. and. Mm-hmm. The mental torture would drive you to so many different things mm-hmm. just to continue to hold on to your own sanity because the acts that he would perform wouldn't be necessarily just about the exploration part. It would be also about you got to do something different every day to change it up so you mm-hmm. don't go, you know, completely go crazy. Yeah. yeah, you gotcha. Yeah, it's huh. an interesting point. Yeah. He did dabble in things that also made me uncomfortable, though they weren't as dark, but they were definitely. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of uh, underhanded and tricky. So the way he manipulated people, I know that was Mm. a key part of the film. And many people think it's the funniest part of the film. You talked a bit about when he was kind of courting Rita, but even at the beginning when he knew he saw this woman in the diner, the first time he realized he's like, oh, I might want to date her. Mm -hmm. So on the way out of the diner, he stops and goes, what's your name? What high school did you go to? Who was your English teacher? Okay, thanks. He's like, wait, wait, what? Yeah. And then the next day he uses all that information Mm -hmm. to act like he knows her and to trick her into dating him. Right. And he did that obviously at least two times we know about. He tried a third time with Rita and he was just fish for what he needed to say 
to get the reaction he wanted. And it was so manipulative. It's like oh, fishing yeah. for information on Facebook with somebody before you go and see them so you can act like you're, oh, I love those same things you love. Let's be friends. Yeah. And it's so underhanded and slimy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cyber stalking. It's the thing that, you know, you get warned about in your videos about security and keeping the company secret safe. You know, mm-hmm. don't put too much out there because people can use it to, fishing. to get you with a personal phishing attack. I think it's funny that we're using the term dating because that's not at all what he wanted. No, 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 no. That's just no, a, euf- was, a right. euphemism for what he really wanted indeed, from indeed, these women. Right. And he got it from all of them, including Andy McDowell in the end, but for different Ultimately, reasons right. at that point, mm-hmm. his morality Correct. had changed. But I think that they did a good job with that part of it, of showing that character exploring a darker path without making people in the audience feel uncomfortable about that darker path, because that's very akin to almost a forced situation that he's doing with those people. They mm-hmm. they yeah. think oh, they yeah. have a choice, but they really don't they, they, because yeah, of yeah, the no things that he's learned himself. Right. Over time, he's wearing them down by having all the right answers and tricking them, ultimately. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, one thing I really liked about the movie, though, was like, Phil progression through the movie his phases i guess call it because it almost seemed like it follows the dr kubler ross's things of death to anger denial bargaining depression acceptance it almost seemed like he followed that in this oh yeah i guess so sure because the beginning he's like what's going on then he was Mm -hmm. getting pissed off that's when he punched the guy did all that stuff then the bargaining to me is like when he started having fun with it Mm -hmm. he just started kind of doing what he wanted and then depression that was pretty obvious Mm -hmm. Uh, yep rock bottom that was when he was committing suicide every day yeah exactly and how depressing is that and not being able to do that even yeah (laughs) And it doesn't even matter. Yeah. And the acceptance is what got him out of it at the end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. When this movie came out, I was actually seeing a therapist and she said that she like recommended this movie to so many people because she says it described the way a lot of people kind of live, which is you do the same thing every day and being depressed about it, but not doing anything to change it. Yeah. It's the rut mentality, right? Yeah. Getting Mm -hmm. stuck in it. And I think I was quite a bit younger, so Mm. I didn't understand ruts and depression and things of that nature at that time. I know, Mo, you were a few years older than me, but um, <laughs> I'm not making any old jokes this time. I'm leaving that All one. All right. Oh, <laughs> oh. See, even George can change over time, oh, just like the <laughs> Now I'm in my own Groundhog Day of Genix. <laughs> oh, You'll record this episode over and over every day. <laughs> I, I did understand that later on after watching this movie. I, Mo, you talked about going therapy. I'm doing therapy as well. So I think... It's definitely a film that can help people see something different because one of the biggest parts of therapy is trying to find ways to see something that you're blind to normally. Yeah. And this Mm. film allowed us to see a part of our lives while still laughing at it. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's really good cinema. As much as I hate to admit it, that was a really good thing about this movie. (laughs) See that? He he grudgingly admits it. 96% Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) Still not better than Scrooged. There's one line in the movie that for some reason just tickled me. I don't know why. It's like after he convinces Annie McDowell that he is living the same day over and over. Right. And he goes over, he says, maybe I am God. Maybe he's not God. He's just a guy who's been around so long. He just knows everything. Right. <laughs> you know? I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. just like, because in a sense, he was kind of God of that day. Well, he was certainly of absolutely. that town, of that day. Yeah. Right. No one else knew more or he, he was totally omnipotent about what was happening in that day, in that town. No Even doubt. his last day. Think about all the acts that yeah. he goes through in that last day. Mm-hmm. He saves the person yep. from choking. He saves the kid falling out of the tree. Yep. He does all these... <laughs> really wonderful acts that 
that end up endearing him to Andy when all the people come up at the party to thank him. Oh, yeah. Right. It's like, why does everybody loves you so much? He's like, oh, I'm just helping out. Just doing it. Yeah. And he's playing the piano and his piano teacher's like, that's my student. Oh. That's my student. <laughs> that's great. He's only had one lesson. <laughs> If you're a die-hard Gen X grown-up, you can pledge your support by clicking join on YouTube or by becoming a patron at genxgrownup.com slash Patreon. It's Groundhog Day! Groundhog time. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. Weatherman Phil Connors is spending the day in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. But Phil's about to find out... He's not just stuck in Puxatawney, he's stuck in Groundhog Day. Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up Podcast listeners to this Backtrack edition of the Gen X Corona Podcast. I'm John. Joining me, as always, is Mo. Hey, Mo. What, what the heck, man? What's going on? I, I Seems odd. George is here with us, of course. George, okay. hey. That's enough. I know what you're doing. What? You're doing you're trying to be Groundhog Day in the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. I'm I, done. I'm with sure this. I don't know what you're talking this is about. The fourth, yeah, you don't know what you're <laughs> I've seen you your entire life. I've seen you now. You're not getting one over on me. I'm not Rita. You're not Phil. This is not gonna work. Yeah, he's definitely not Rita. Hmm. I'm definitely not Rita. <laughs> Clearly not Rita. Clearly not Clearly Rita. Not. <laughs> So as we wind up this look at Groundhog's Day, there are a few things, including some discussion points I had about it and also just how the impact on other films and culture has been. Oh, yeah. The first little data point that I wanted to talk about I thought was really intriguing is the original author, Danny Rubin. He had a different ending that we didn't see that I thought was very interesting. Okay. The original ending had a twist. So we know the story, how Phil goes through this whole loop and ultimately Rita helps to change him into a genuine person who cares about other people. And at the end, he comes out of the loop and he admits his love for Rita, but Rita is not ready to accept love from someone. She's not in a place. And Rita gets trapped in a loop of her own to start her own personal development. Wow. Oh, that interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Again, a little darker maybe, but yeah. interesting. It feels like that, they were oh, trying maybe, to set it up for a sequel if it made money or something. Yeah. Could be. Could be. They took that out. I, I, I don't know that you needed it, but it was an interesting way to end it that could have been cool. Yeah. I mean, it would have left it open-ended, which I know American audiences don't really like. <laughs> we like closure on things. Well, the Phil story would have been over, but it's saying that like other people could have this experience yeah. too was kind of I think the statement it would have made yeah. I don't mind it if it's appropriate and if it's story driven oh yeah I agree and yeah, yeah. maybe mm-hmm. it could have been I don't think watching the film that we watched I would have cared enough about her character to want to see her journey through that same situation. Yeah. I don't really want to see hers either, but I like the idea that it shows it could happen. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe you would want to see her because you care about Phil. You want him to be happy. So you need her to be able to, you know, <laughs> you need her I to know. get through her stuff so yeah. that she can. But no, <laughs> no, it's, it's yeah. interesting ending though. I see, I mean, I'm happy they didn't go that route, but it would have yeah. been interesting. Yeah. You know, I mentioned that Groundhog Day becomes almost like a stamp. You know, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. it's a Star Wars like film or it's a whatever. Oh, you have a Groundhog Day like film. And there are a lot of the biggest one to me that I remember was the uh, Tom Cruise film Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was basically Groundhog Day mushed up with Starship Troopers. It was yeah. just 
it was. And totally he was, was learning every day how to get through this big right. battle on the beach, and he died a whole bunch of times. Mm-hmm. And that was one that I really liked. People said, "Oh, it's just Groundhog Day." I'm like, "So it's great. They did a I great job." It was a good movie. It. I enjoyed it. Was it. cool. Yeah, I think for me it was Fifty First Dates, and I really? only recognized it hmm. as I watched this film the second time because to me, those two films are character arcs that are in opposition to each other. In this film, Groundhog Day, everything is from the point of view of the person stuck in the loop, in Phil's point of view. In Uh 51st Dates, most everything is from the person who is outside of the loop because it's a memory loop for the Drew Barrymore character. character. Oh, right. right. Huh. Oh, that's okay. And in this case, I think it's, you know, that film is from the person outside of the loop trying to break in to that person's oh, world. Right. That's, right. That's because pretty, Drew yeah. Barrymore's character, it wasn't a time loop. It was just a memory problem for her, right? She couldn't remember. It was a memory loop, yeah. Just a memory. Every morning she woke up, it was the same morning. It was a new it was day. A reset. That's yeah, right. Reset every so, yeah. similar structure, different mechanism. I hadn't thought mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, yeah that's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. What I remember is uh, that show on Netflix, Russian Doll. Hmm. That was a series that was basically a Groundhog Day, except a lot more urban, <laughs> I guess I would call it. <laughs> and they did throw a couple extra twists I thought was interesting. I thought it was a pretty good series myself. I thought it was interesting. It was a loop that was repeating. But it yeah. was a daily yeah. loop that kept repeating. Yeah. You know, I think every Star Trek series does its time loop, uh, you know, in some form or fashion. The one that did it best, I think, do you remember Cause and Effect? It was the episode where the Enterprise was destroyed. <laughs> of right? course. And they, it oh, happens yeah. over and over. Over that and over. That was an yeah. interior joke with our Star Trek group that we were a part of when that episode first right. came out because, John, you had even gotten the satellite feed, so we saw it a week before everybody else. So then we saw That's right. the Cause and Effect episode on its regular time. So seeing it over again it just became again. this like, crazy this like cause and effect where those things happen again and again <laughs> right. in that case it was the entire crew who mm-hmm. reset each day and they had to figure out how to send clues to themselves in the next loop kind of thing yeah. so not quite exactly the same but similar was that the episode that started with like the Enterprise blowing up basically exactly like, yes okay I do remember that one yeah and then the pre-credits it blows up and you're like yeah. oh my goodness what's happening here yeah like what? The, where's that going into the series time to start finding <laughs> something else to watch what's well, one heck of a beginning yeah <laughs> A couple of more more current films too. Uh, 2020, there was an Andy Samberg film called Palm Springs. I don't know if you caught that one, that one, but it was no. Yeah, he he finds some kind of a. It explains why the loop is happening. Even something's in a cave that has a magical power that affects him, uh, and he keeps going. He crashes a wedding at Palm Springs, and every day he goes back to the wedding and he knows more about the people. And one more that came up in my my memory was just last year, 2021. There was a Frank Grillo film called Boss Level. Huh? Ooh, I like Frank Grillo. Yeah, so it, it, if you haven't seen it, this is cool. It actually starts mid-loop. You start the film, he wakes up, and there's a gunfight outside of his window, but he knows where every bullet's going to be, and he dodges every single one of them, and everybody's ah. trying to kill him, and he's trying to survive the day. Oh, really? They're all just very much groundhoggy kind of mechanisms. Yeah. To It's a great concept. It is. Uh, one thing I remember when I first saw the game Life is Strange, you know, we all love that game, the, oh, yeah. the original yeah. one. It seemed like that was taking it a little bit. Basically, you could reset and redo things multiple times. Micro-loop. You might think, yeah. Well, loops, so right. again, that kind of that mini loop right. sort of thing. Right. But Max had control of the loop, but she could go back and use knowledge she had to repeat right. things and fix mm-hmm. them. That's absolutely right. Yeah. So yeah, it was interesting. You alluded a few times, George, throughout the show, how long Phil was in the loop. You said thousands of days or hundreds of days or whatever. Yeah. Did they ever say? It certainly appeared that way to me because you know yeah. there's the scenes where like at the bar where we're talking about him trying to order a drink and go through the whole process of mm-hmm. getting through that. Right. They show five or six clips. Well, if that that's five or six days. And then they, he right. does that 10 or 20 different scenes. It, to me, it just seemed like it was thousands right. of days. 
And you remember when he's pitching cards in the hotel, mm-hmm. right? He says, how'd you get so good at that? He's like, oh, five or six hours a day for several weeks of right, practice, yeah. you know? So interestingly, the early draft of the film suggested he was in the loop 10,000 years. Holy crap. Woo. There's yeah. no way you could be sane after that. <laughs> like George was saying earlier, there's no way. The final film never says how long he's in the loop. They cut any reference to it. But Harold Ramis once told the New York Times that he thought he was stuck in the loop for 10 years. Mm. Still, crazy amount of time. And then later, though, in 2009, Ramos revised his estimate, and he said, it takes at least 10 years to get good at anything, and allotting for the downtime and misguided years he spent, it had to be more like 30 or 40 years. I mean, he had to learn how to play piano. Play piano, yeah. Pitch cards. If he did (laughs) some skill, pitch cards. Become a doctor at some point. They started calling him Dr. Phil. That's right. That's right. right. The better Dr. (laughs) Phil. It's largely honorary. (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah, I guess it would have to be a really long time, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And there's no way I would hold up being a good person 30 or 40 years for that long. the same day. Yeah. Yeah. It would be tough, I admit. <laughs> for that long, no. no. I'm finding blow torches and torching everything. <laughs> Maybe this will end it. <laughs> <laughs> there once was a part of the script where they said he was trying to measure time by reading a single page of the book in the library every day. And his depression began when he realized he ran out of books. Although that never Ooh, ended up in the, in the final oh, film. Wow. That could be dark. Yeah. So now we never got a, a proper sequel. Probably for the better, it would have wrecked yeah. it, I think. We yeah, didn't need yeah. to see the, the second loop or whatever. But many people have wondered what happened to Phil after the film. What you know, he got out and he's with Rita and what happened. Okay. And the writer, Danny Rubin, on his personal blog revealed what he believes would have happened to Phil afterwards. And I thought it was worth mentioning here. Uh, he says he had stayed on to live in that town for a while, but after multiple lifetimes, remember he said, we'll just rent this this, this house. We're not going to buy it, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but after multiple lifetimes and perpetual winter, Phil wanted to go to the beach. He wanted to see more of the world, experience the smells and tastes, the peoples, the cultures. He played, laughed, learned, and suffered. He volunteered and started businesses. He learned to sail, spent years going every place he'd ever read about, which was pretty much every place there was. Oh, because he read everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So essentially, he became a whole great person after going through such torture, certainly in the original writer's concept. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay with that. I think he yeah. earned it after what he went through. Sure. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Before we wind up the show, I have one more round robin question for you. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to start this one with George because you've already kind of alluded to your answer to this question, George. You are a, in a Phil Connors scenario. You get trapped in a Groundhog Day type loop. How do you think you would deal with it? I would be the antithesis of Phil. I would never <laughs> redeem myself. I would be awful. I would be a horrible human being because I know that I, at my core, have a lot of darkness and with no consequences to keep that darkness in check, there would be a lot of bad stuff happening in that town. Oh, George geez. off the rails. <laughs> George unplugged. <laughs> yeah. I think um, it's hard to say. It's hard to imagine, especially knowing it could be 30 or 40 years Certainly, I think there's a part of mental breakdown that would happen. I would hope that I would do things I always wanted to do but never had time to do. I hope mm-hmm. I would learn to play guitar. I hope I would learn to play piano or something like he did or, or read books that I, you know, I'm not a voracious reader. I think with infinite time, you're going to read books because there's not going to be new movies coming out, right? You're going to just read. Yeah. I think I would try to do that stuff, but I also think I would end up giving in to some of those darker things because with absolutely no repercussions, like maybe I want to know what it's like to, to do those 
those horrible things knowing it really doesn't hurt anybody. It's like VR. It's like, it's like, not hurt anybody. I'm going to go in a game and shoot somebody because it's a yeah. game. That would almost be like a game. And I think I would end up, I don't think I would, I would go straight to it, but I think I might get there. I mean, not straight to it, but eventually I'm yeah. going to say, I wonder what cannibalism yeah. is like. <laughs> oh. Oh. Well, cannibalism notwithstanding, how do you think you would handle a Groundhog Day loop? I know I would like to think that I would not do anything horrible. I would definitely, like you said, John, I would mm-hmm. like, oh man, I could learn a foreign language. I could learn this because mm-hmm. you have to do sure. things that aren't permanent, right? Only things that you could take with you from loop to loop, which is It's got to be in your head, right? It's got to be skills. Right. Can't build a house or start a YouTube right. channel or none of that, right? You kick it resets every day. Or, or write a book or anything like that. Really, unless you wrote all in your head. Yeah. But the thing is, I guess he's like, I would, part of me would always probably be feeling like, what if this is the last loop? So if I kill somebody, <laughs> what if it's the last one to actually kill that person? You know, I could see me what if that's just the trigger? getting so stressed <laughs> by that kind of thinking, you know, that, that may be the thing that keeps me from doing it for a while. But at some point, yeah, I'm sure, like I said, I'm human, right? At some point, I'm sure I'm going to do mm-hmm. something I would, I would normally regret later and feel I'd, horrible I'd be able to it. get off of that with insanity plea. Be like, I was stuck in a loop. You guys <laughs> don't right. understand. Oh, don't <laughs> believe you. Don't worry. <laughs> They'd be like, uh-huh. Yeah, right. Okay. All right, man, whether you loved it or hate it, I mean, Groundhog Day is definitely something that we have found. For me, we found philosophical questions in this discussion that I had not anticipated even in planning to record the show. So I think there's there's more to it than just a light comedy. I think there's a lot of human condition stuff in this film. I'm glad we took time to talk about it and better appropriate time than on the heels of Groundhog Day. Before we get out of this episode, I want to take just a second to thank a couple of patrons who decided that Groundhog Day was a great time to get Give us a little raise. Hey. These are existing patrons who, for no benefit to themselves, said, you know what? GXG deserves a few more bucks a month. Just out of the goodness of their heart. Cool. John H. bumped us from $4 to $5. Oh, nice. Just because. Thank you. And Curl Bro bumped us from 5 to $7 a month, just as a tip, just to say thanks for everything we're doing. Wow. Thank you. That's the kind of generosity that time and time again, we've said, just puts gas in the tank, keeps us knowing that we're doing something that's being appreciated. And wow, does it really help keep us going. So thanks so much to you guys and to everyone else who continues to support us over on YouTube and on uh, Patreon. So much appreciated. That then is going to wrap it up for this Backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up Podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with another one, but next week is the regular edition of our show. Until then, I am John. George, thank you so much for being here. Yes, sir. Mo, you know I appreciate you. Always fun, man. And fourth lister, it's you. We all appreciate most of all, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. Gen X Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Don't you know that you're a grown up? I'm a grown up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days being a grown up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.